0: remain standing for our gospel lesson also our sermon text one verse from John 14 the verse is 15 if you love me keep my commandments let's pray father we do love you because you first loved us and as we meditate on this verse Help us to consider what you have to say, what you have to teach us, how you, have to, how you uh, will challenge us. We pray that the Spirit who inspired these words would work in us and that you would accomplish in us your good purposes through Jesus Christ our Lord. Amen. Amen. Please be seated. The title of today's sermon is, If You Love Jesus, You Will Obey Him. And this title, of course, is simply a paraphrase of John fourteen fifteen. If you love Jesus, keep His commandments. If you love Jesus, you will keep His commandments. You will obey His commandments. That's not just the message of this verse. It's the message of the Gospel of John. And indeed, as we'll see, the message of the whole of Scripture. True disciples of Jesus love him, and the consequence of that love is obedience. Jesus expands on this later in the chapter. Look down, with your Bibles open in John 14, look down at verse 21. He very quickly begins to expand on what he means here. He says there, he who has my commandments and keeps them, it is he who loves me. And he who loves me will be loved by my Father, and I will love him and manifest myself to him. And then again in verse 23, a couple verses down, John 14, 23, Jesus answered and said to him, If anyone loves me, he will keep my word, and my Father will love him, and we will come to him and make our home with him. So it's both a command, if you love me, keep my commandments, and... A reality that if you love me, you will keep my commandments. And God reserves the best blessings, his best blessings, for those who love his son. All things work for the good to those who love God in Christ. And another way of saying this is that God reserves his best blessings for those who are obedient to his son. To those who keep his word. Do you love Jesus? If so, you will obey him. You love Jesus only to the extent that you obey him. You can only claim that you love Jesus to the extent that you keep his commandments. People often talk to me about those in their lives who demonstrate little or no evidence that they actually know God. Perhaps you've had conversations like this as well. They'll tell me, well, my husband doesn't read scripture or pray or go to church anymore, but I know that he still loves the Lord. Or they'll say, it's true that my adult daughter has been living like the world ever since she left the house But I know that she still loves Jesus. The problem with this is that it contradicts Scripture. It denies the words of Christ. A person only loves Jesus to the extent that he or she obeys Jesus. So if you love me, Jesus says, you will obey my commandments. Now, this is a simple, straightforward truth, but also a vital truth that strikes a decisive blow at a certain false teaching in many churches, including many Reformation churches. And the fancy word that this false teaching goes by is antinomianism. Antinomianism is the view that the commandments of Scripture really have no significant place in the Christian life. The idea is that we are saved by grace alone, through faith alone, and we're not under the law. So there's no need to talk about the law. There's no need to talk about obedience and works and the fruit that follows faith, as James puts it in James 2. Now, the word antinomian comes from two words, anti, anti, against, and the Greek word namos, law, against, The law, an antinomian, is functionally against God's law. Usually, the expressions of this view contrast God's law with God's grace in a way that completely devalues the place of God's law in the Christian life. An antinomian will say that obedience and works and the law are what other religions talk about. Maybe it's what the Roman Catholics emphasize or false religions that stress good works as a way to attain salvation, to earn righteousness. But but we're Protestants. We belong to the Reformation. And so we emphasize grace alone and faith alone. For an antinomian, the law is almost an enemy of grace, at least practically the way it gets worked out. So I need to say here, that it's hard to find anyone who will self-identify as an antinomian. I've never known anyone to, to call themselves an antinomian, but I've met a lot of antinomians. And perhaps more important, the spirit of antinomianism is alive and well among Christians. It runs rampant in many churches. This spirit of antinomianism is behind those comments that I shared with you earlier. Comments like, yes, my friend that I grew up with in youth group is living a godless life, but I know deep down in his heart that he still loves Jesus. Those sorts of comments. This spirit of antinomianism is why outright disobedience to the clear commandments of God is often countenanced in many Christian homes and in many Christian churches. But you see, the biblical and reformational doctrine of salvation by grace alone, through faith alone, should not lead us to reject the importance of obeying the commandments of God. Of course, we always must be crystal clear that salvation is never by works. It's never by or through our obedience. It's always by grace alone. The book of Galatians, for example, stands as a commanding and clear witness to this truth. Obedience to the law does not save us, cannot save us. We can never go further. We can never go so far as to say that obedience even has to do with 0.01% of our salvation. Now, we can say that love, not law, lies at the heart of Christian living, Christian ethics. But love always leads to obedience, to the law of God, to the commandments of God. So after we've made all of these Concessions and caveats, we must come back and we must be quick to affirm that love for Christ always leads straight away to obedience to Christ. Love produces obedience. The old nineteenth century preacher Alexander McLaren wisely wrote quote, The principle that underlies these words in John fourteen, fifteen in the wider context, is this. That love is the foundation of obedience. And obedience is the sure outcome and result of love. That is exactly what distinguishes and lifts the morality of the gospel above all other systems, end quote. So the main principle here is clear. If you love Jesus, you will keep his commandments. But I also want you to consider... For the next few minutes, that the reverse is true. Not the opposite, but the reverse. This proposition is reversible. It's also true that if you keep his commandments, you can know that you love him. If you obey Christ, it is evidence that you really do love him. Now, this reversal is also scriptural. Jesus makes this sort of reversal himself just six verses later. Look again at verse 21. He who has my commandments and keeps them, it is he who loves me. And he who loves me will be loved by my Father, and I will love him and manifest myself to him. Now, this same apostle, John, makes the same point in his first epistle, 1 John 2, verses 3 to 5. You can listen. Now by this we know that we know him. Okay? Now by this we know that we know him. How? If we keep his commandments. He who says I know him and does not keep his commandments is a liar and the truth is not in him. But whoever keeps his word, truly the love of God is perfected in him. By this we know That we are in him. So do you want to know with greater certainty, perhaps, that you are in Christ? Then keep his word, or perhaps keep his word with greater faithfulness. How does this work? What are we talking about here? This can maybe start to sound very unreformational pretty quickly, right? But I'm just reading the words of Scripture. So we need to ask, how can our obedience assure us that we really belong to Christ? The answer is that a person's obedience to Christ doesn't earn anything, but it does reveal his true nature. Your obedience to the commands of Jesus is evidence that God has made you into a new creature. In Christ, By nature, apart from Christ, apart from God's grace, we were in rebellion against God. That's why Paul says in Ephesians 2 verse 3 that by nature we were sons of wrath, children of wrath. We were objects of God's anger and condemnation, His just anger and condemnation. Consequently, it was not within us by nature to obey God. When a man or a woman or a boy or a girl obeys God from the heart, when anyone experiences a growing desire to live a Christ-like life, this is evidence that God has done and is doing a supernatural work in this person's life, in this person's heart. It's proof that the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit have made their home in this person. That's how Jesus talks in John 14, making their home in us. It's evidence that God has begun a good work in this individual. In the book of 1 John, one of the main ways of attaining assurance of salvation is simple obedience to the clear commands of Scripture. Saying no to sin and yes to righteousness. So take heart, fellow believers, fellow followers of Christ, and be assured of God's saving work in your life. Be encouraged by the growth in grace and godliness that the Spirit of Christ is accomplishing in you and has been accomplishing in you perhaps for some time now, for the last three months or the last three years or the last three decades. Now it's time for another caveat. None of this means that any of us will ever obey God completely, flawlessly in this life. We will someday, but not in this life. Belonging to Jesus, being in Christ truly, does not make you capable of sinless perfection. Hebrews 12 and verse 23 says that the righteous are not made perfect in this life. Our sanctification sanctification is not made complete until we die and go to heaven. Then our spirits will be made perfect. Perfect, completely righteous, but not till then. In this life, we sin. In this this life, we will continue to sin. That's why the same John writes in another place in 1 John 1, 8, if we say we have no sin, we deceive ourselves, and the truth is not in us. Nevertheless, if you detect within yourself, a growing desire to please God. If, if you hate your sin more all the time, and this hatred actually, actually leads to repentance, if you increasingly long to be like Jesus, then God is at work in you. If you love Jesus, you will keep his commandments. And it's also the case that if you keep his commandments you can know it's evidence that you love Jesus. Now that we've considered these two complementary truths, let's step back and ask a basic question. What are these commandments of Christ? What are we supposed to obey? Well, Many, many ways to answer that question. One legitimate answer to this question is that we're supposed to obey all of Scripture, right? All the moral commandments of God from Genesis to Revelation. And and this answer, of course, is correct. Every bit of Scripture is the word of Christ, the word of the eternal Son of God, the word of the Word made flesh. Therefore, it must be obeyed. Now, if we want to get more specific, we might say that, we should, that there should be a certain focus on the scriptures that were written after the death and resurrection of Christ. You see, the New Testament is the inspired interpretation of the Old Testament and the inspired interpretation of the saving works of Christ, which brought the Old Covenant to its fulfillment, to its goal, to its end but I think we can narrow it down even more. In the previous chapter of John's gospel, Jesus introduced what he called a new commandment. All right, since, So since we're talking about obeying the commandments of Christ in John 14, it would make sense to consider this new important commandment that Jesus gives us in John 13. So if your Bible's still open, look up, you may have to turn a page, you may not, to John 13, verse 34. John thirteen thirty four says, Jesus says, A new commandment I give to you, that you love one another, as I have loved you, that you also love one another. And we, we can maybe smooth out that translation a bit, and put it this way, as another translation puts it, the ESV puts it this way. A new commandment I give to you that you love one another. Just as I have loved you, you also are to love one another. So, so the command is to love one another, but it's also to love one another as Christ loved us. So it's Christ-like love. It's a Christian love. In other words, if you love Jesus, you will love other Christians. The way Christ loves you. So do you love others? Do you love one another? I don't mean do you have a warm feeling toward others. The love that Jesus is talking about is practical, tangible, visible. You, you can assign a date to it. When we look at the rest of John's gospel and indeed the whole of the new Testament We see the genuine that, that genuine love for others manifests itself in actions christlike love means more than sentimental thoughts and the best wishes for someone. It means action in a sermon on this passage, Pastor James Montgomery Boyce helps us understand this love. And and what it looks like, he breaks it down into the action of service and the action of sacrifice. And I think that's a helpful way to summarize particularly what Jesus is getting at here in John. In these passages, these chapters in John that we're in, that we've been in. So first, love for one another means service. This, This is clear. From the context in which Jesus gives the new commandment. You remember at the beginning of John 13, Jesus divested himself of his garments, he wrapped himself in a towel, and he washed his disciples' feet. Remember the sermon on that passage, perhaps, where we talked about the symbolism there of, of him divesting himself of his glory and going to the cross. You'll also remember that the disciples, especially Peter, explicitly Peter, concluded that this was an improper thing for Jesus to do. And and we don't get any sense that the other disciples disagreed with Peter. Foot foot washing, you see, was the job of the most subservient of servants. Peter was so appalled that he actually objects. He says in verse 8, You shall never wash my feet. You're not a slave, Jesus. You are the Christ, the Messiah. But Jesus corrects Peter and then teaches Peter and all of them what it actually means to be the Christ and what it actually means to be a follower of the Christ, a Christian. In John 13, starting in verse 13, Jesus says, You call me teacher and Lord, and you are right, for so I am. If I then... Your Lord and teacher have washed your feet. You also ought to wash one another's feet. For I have given you an example that you also should do just as I have done to you. That's the picture that Jesus gives us of true Christianity in action. Christian love divests itself of its own prerogatives in order to serve others. Second, and closely connected to this, love, Christian love, means sacrifice. In other words, we're not called to serve only when it fits our schedule. Christ-like love combines service with sacrifice. Now, every successful business offers a service, right? Uh, That's that's why they're successful. If the service is good, the business tends to make good money. It builds a reputation for its service, and then people pay money to get that service. But successful businesses don't generally offer sacrificial service, do they? Not not really, not at the end of the day. Generally, if it costs them, it's going to cost you more. That's just how it works. That's how they stay in business. Their their service might be good. Uh, You might decide that it's actually worth what they want you to pay, but it comes at a cost to you and at a profit to them. But biblical service doesn't work that way. That's not the logic of Christian service. The service that flows from Christian love is service that is not always convenient and that sometimes costs you much. In other words, it means sacrifice. And because you belong to Christ, you're called to serve at your cost. You're called to serve when you'd much rather be doing something else. Once again, Jesus is our example here. After Jesus served the disciples by washing their feet, he completed his act of service, which was really a a lifelong act. But he completed it by going to the cross to make atonement for our sins, for, for these disciples' sins, whose feet he just washed, for our sins, your sins, and mine. Now, I said before that the book of 1 John offers assurance of salvation to those who keep God's commandments. It also offers assurance of salvation to those who love other believers in visible, tangible, practical ways. Listen to 1 John 3, 14. It says, We know that we have passed out of death and into life. How? Because we love the brothers. Whoever does not love, whoever does not love the brothers, abides in death. You can be assured that you are born again, or as John puts it, you can know that you've truly passed from death to life, that you've made that transition into Christ. If, in obedience to Christ, you find yourself loving other people for whom Jesus died. In closing, let's circle back to that conditional clause at the beginning of our verse. If you love me. If you love me. Do you? Do you love Jesus? Is there any evidence that you love him? Do you keep his commandments? Do you love his people with sacrificial service? Now, some of you will hear these questions and reply humbly, but honestly, in the affirmative. Yes, you really do love Jesus and your, your actions, your life are proof of this. If that's you, then rejoice at the work of God in you. Be grateful that you don't struggle, perhaps, with assurance. That God has given you assurance by His Spirit's work in you. And keep growing in your love for Christ. Some of you really do love Christ, and your life proves it, but you don't feel comfortable answering that question. Those questions with a yes. Maybe it feels prideful. My, my encouragement to you is to rid yourself of false humil- humility and look honestly at the work of the Spirit in you. It's not your work. It's God's. And it's to be recognized, acknowledged. If God has brought you out of spiritual death and into spiritual life, then give thanks that his love for you has enabled you to love him in return. Don't rob yourself of this God-given means of assurance and keep growing in your love for Christ. There are also many confessing Christians, perhaps some here today, who have very little evidence that They love Jesus. They they say they do, but no one would know it. So we can essentially think of four categories of people, right? Number one, there are those who love Jesus and know it. Number two, there are those who love Jesus but don't really allow themselves to know it. Number three, there are those who do not love Jesus and know it. And then number four, there are those who do not love Jesus but do not know it. They've convinced themselves that they can love Jesus while living the way they want. First, John addresses that. He says that those people are liars. Regardless of which category you fall into, I want to assure you, I want to assure everyone, all of us, That you'll never learn to love Jesus more. And, And I'm assuming that about everyone here wants to love Jesus more. You'll never learn to love Jesus more. Simply by imposing it on yourself as a duty. Now I'm not denying that loving Jesus is a duty. It is a duty. It is the duty of every person who Ever lives. What I'm saying is that you'll never learn to love Jesus more simply or even primarily by imposing it on yourself as sheer duty. You'll never love Jesus more by telling yourself over and over to do better. You'll never love Him more by repeating yourself, I will love Jesus more, I will love Jesus more, I will love Jesus more, any more than you can make yourself happier. By repeating to yourself, I will be happier, I will be happier, I will be happier. But there is a way that you can learn to love Jesus more. The primary way you come to love Jesus more is by coming to know, understand, believe, and accept his love for you. In other words, coming to understand and believe and accept and put your trust in the gospel, the good news, John 3.16. God's love for you is what provokes your love for him. The love of Jesus for you calls forth your love for him. 1 John 4.19 says that we love because God first loved us. We love God because he first loved us, and we love others because God first loved us. Therefore, the way to love God more is to grow in your understanding and your experience of what it means that he loved you so much that in the fullness of time, he gave his only begotten son for your salvation. So instead of saying to yourself over and over, I will love Jesus, I will love Jesus, I will love Jesus. Start instead, that can can come later, but start by reminding yourself constantly that Jesus loves you. Say to yourself, Jesus loves me, Jesus loves me, Jesus loved me and loves me. I've said for some time that my favorite song in the world is The children's song, Jesus Loves Me. Most people only know the first verse. But the second and third verses are my favorite. The second verse says, Jesus loves me. He who died, heaven's gate to open wide. He has washed away my sins. Let his little child come in. And then the third verse, Jesus loves me. He will stay close beside me all the way. And then it ends with a prayer. Thou hast bled and died for me. I will henceforth live for thee. Yes, Jesus loves me. Yes, Jesus loves me. Yes, Jesus loves me. The Bible tells me so. The cross of Christ tells me so. My baptism tells me so. That's the only way any of us can ever learn to love Jesus by recognizing and believing in what Jesus has done for us. He has loved you with perfect, sacrificial love. He put his love for you on display. He put it into action. The just died for the unjust. The righteous died for the unrighteous, us. He has borne your griefs. He has carried your sorrows. He He was pierced for your Transgressions. He was bruised for your iniquities. His punishment brought you peace. His stripes healed you. You can love Jesus because he first loved you. So love Jesus because he first loved you. And because you love Jesus, You will obey his commandments. Let's pray. God in heaven, we have heard your call and we ask for your help in obeying you and fulfilling your commandments and doing. Your word. Work in us by the power of your spirit. By the power of the resurrection of Jesus Christ. Godliness. True repentance. Faithfulness. Among us in this body. In the members of Christ the King Church. In each family. In each individual. And we ask this in the name of Jesus. And for the sake of his kingdom. Amen.